0: Africa, Zola. Africa, amka na unai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's Audiobook Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Hoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. concerns over raging legal battle between South Africa's president and the public protector, and South Africa's government expresses concern over Nigerian students' call to expel South Africans. In economics news, Zimbabwean government signs coal agreement with Australian firm and in sports news, South Africa's Springboks win rugby championship in Argentina. But first up the news with Anne Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa Tanzania has held a mass funeral for seventy-one people who died when an overturned fuel tanker exploded on Saturday. Officials say people were trying to siphon fuel from the vehicle on a main road in the Morogoro region, when it exploded, the driver of the tanker reportedly lost control while he was trying to avoid a motorcycle operator. Tanzania's President John Makafuli has declared three days of mourning. He also pleaded with people to stop risking their lives by siphoning fuel from broken down tankers. Last month, 45 people were killed and more than 100 injured in central Nigeria, when a petrol tanker crashed and then exploded as people tried to take the fuel. In May, a similar incident occurred in Niger, just a short distance from the airport in the capital near May, leaving almost 80 people dead. Among the deadliest such disasters, 292 people lost their lives in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo in July 2010, and in September 2015, at least 203 people died in the South Sudan town of Mariri. A car bomb explosion in the eastern Libyan city of Benghazi have killed three UN staff members and two other mission members. The attack on Saturday came as the United Nations were brokering a truce in the capital, Tripoli, where the eastern-based Libya National Army force launched a surprise attack in April. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has condemned the attack. The Assistant Secretary General for Peace, Bento Keita, has told the Security Council that the UN does not intend to evacuate from Libya. The city of Johannesburg, Mayor Herman Mashaba, has reiterated his call for illegal foreigners in South Africa to be sent back home. At least 600 undocumented foreign nationals were arrested last week when police raided their shops in the Johannesburg CBD to seize counterfeit goods. The Home Affairs Department says they are expected to appear in court this morning. Mashaba says those who come to South Africa must respect
3: the country's laws i think our constitution is very very clear about that the people who come to south africa must come here legally and when they're here must respect our laws whether you're a south african or non-south african yes. for some reason you happen to end up in south africa without uh, documentation running from whatever system where you come from home affairs has got a, a constitutional obligation to ensure that that person is immediately given the papers. Those who qualify and those who don't qualify, the constitution is very clear.
2: And finally, people across the border in China have started to see a different version of events as protests in Hong Kong become increasingly organized and strategic. Hong Kong has entered its third month of mass anti-government protests. Hong Kong police have fired tear gas at demonstrators after petrol bombs exploded in the downtown bar district of Chai as clashes in the city intensified. The BBC's Danny Vincent reports protesters gathered at police headquarters to face off against riot police
4: flashing lights and banging shields as the two sides stood off against each other police flags went up and tear gas was fired forcing the crowd of demonstrators back they retreated with umbrellas and set up new barricades they now work in teams some have specialist roles protesters put out gas canisters some throw bricks they have meetings on site to decide their next move this movement is becoming increasingly organised and increasingly strategic the numbers have dwindled as police move in, but they are rebuilding new barricades to slow the police down.
2: And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, for Africa, amuka na unai.
5: Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook Channel Africa 1, on Twitter at Channel Africa 1 and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
1: South Africa's ruling African National Congress has expressed concern at the raging legal battle between party president Cyril Ramaphosa and the public protector advocate Busasu Mkwebani. The High Court in Pretoria will today hear Ramaphosa's urgent judicial review application of Mkwebani's Busasa report. This relates to the leaking to the media confidential banking information of recipients and donors to Cyril Ramaphosa's CR17 campaign. Our political correspondent Ndebo Mugobo has more.
6: A legal war is raging between President Cyril Ramaphosa and the public protector, Advocate Busisiwe Mkwepane. The North Gauteng High Court ruled in favor of the President, deferring disciplinary action against Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon pending judicial review. Again later this morning, the two will battle it out in the same court, and this time around the President wants the court not to make the record of donors to ECR 17 campaign public. But the never-ending court battle between the president and the public protector is now becoming a worrying factor to the governing ANC. Party spokesperson Pule Mabe says they want the matter to be laid to rest and the president being given the space to do his job.
7: We are looking at these developments with a spectrum of concern, of course. It is in our interest that these things are addressed with the necessary speed so that we could all return and put our attention where it matters the most, which is to lead the people of South Africa. We are concerned. We want to make sure that our president places his energy and focus on turning around the economy. The people of this country want jobs. As we have seen, the economy has contracted. So are we really living up to those expectations that we've made to the people? Or are we lagging behind because of our own inward looking on some of these things? So we need to put the people of South Africa first.
6: In its earlier statement, the presidency described the CR-17 leaked emails as a violation of the president's right to privacy. And presidential spokesperson Kusela Digo said President Ramaphosa did nothing wrong ethically or legally. It is illegal for anybody to
2: circulate uh, information that has been obtained illegally, uh, and that is what we are putting across. We have no problem with the court once it has ascertained the legality of that information, then having that information made public. Now, it's extremely worrying that members of the media are sitting with these bank statements which are confidential and which we believe that uh, they have been acquired illegally. But
6: political analyst Dr. Ralph Mateja says it is unlikely for the president's lawyers to succeed in making the records of his funders secret as the information is already in the public domain.
7: It's already impractical to do that because the information is already leaked and part of it is already in the public discourse. So there will be no purpose served whatsoever in actually sealing this thing. And again, I think that we should be clear about this. If there are those that donated and have a problem in their names being also revealed, they should join as friends of the court in relation to this. Why is it that the president is also willing to litigate on the part of third parties as well? It's impractical to force the court to do that at this point as I see it. And I think the best way to manage this for the president it's actually to call a press conference and reveal who funded you manage it politically
6: mateka also said for the president to spend time in court defending himself is destructive to his presidency i am debu mogobo in johannesburg
1: It's 7.09 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's President Sulra Ramaphosa is battling to keep the lid on information that may expose the identity of the donors who funded his campaign to ascend to the leadership of the governing African National Congress. And it seems the exercise might be futile as one Sunday newspaper has gone to print with the information. And as expected, this has generated a lot of talk about and already comparisons are being drawn between Ramaphosa and his predecessor, Jacob Zuma. To talk more about this, we are now joined on the line by political analyst Ralph Mateja. Ralph, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise
4: and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Good morning to your listeners across the continent uh, and the world. Thanks for inviting me. Ralph,
1: take us through your all-round understanding of what exactly is happening because there seems to be a lot of confusion and South Africans don't seem to understand what really is happening.
4: Well, what is happening is that uh, since the revelations came out that the president accepted a small money, I mean, in relative terms, I'm saying it's a small money of 500,000 rands from busasa. Uh, Five hundred thousand rands is how much? Maybe forty thousand US dollars or so, if you like. Um, since that has been revealed, uh, more details have come out where the public protector investigated, and details have revealed there is actually more money. There is uh, almost uh, half a billion rands, four hundred million rands. That is uh, that we are, we are we are we are talking about here. So the the, the president is now saying that the information about who. Uh, donated the money to his campaign was attained illegally he's now asking the court to seal that and uh, this for me defies logic that if you really operate in today and you are observing what is going on current affairs across the world you realize that information such as this is becoming impossible to actually seal. we live in the world of digital technology and so forth this information easily make it to the public and the president in my view here is already late in sealing, in trying to get to petition the court to seal this information we are already discussing the details of this information so this is a political matter that in my mind should be dealt with politically, should be responded to politically instead of using the court. And the political question is that the president accepted the uh, donations from people that he seems not to be comfortable with. And for that purpose, he seems to be willing not to talk about uh, any details or such. That is not strategy that is going to work for the president, because I see more and more demand for uh, 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 transparency about that. And we're also in the middle of state capture where uh, some business elites uh, are alleged to have tried to influence politicians, and now the president does not want to tell us who donated a lot of money to his campaign. That is where the thing is uh, as it stands. Even if the court might deal with that, whether the court says that uh, fine, the records should uh, uh, be filled, they really think that it is not going to stop South Africans from talking about the details of such records.
1: Now, Ralph, it's it's very curious, uh, the fact that uh, internal party issues uh, seem to be, um, you know, being used or to to, to push for this investigation. And uh, the report that came out from um, the public protector, why focus entirely on one individual during an internal party process, whereas other parties are not even
4: being looked at? This is quite interesting. It actually shows uh, that our law is silence when it comes to what it, what needs to happen internally within political parties regarding the handling, receiving, and even the use of finance. And let me make an example here. I have observed the American uh, political system very well. Studied about it. I was a student there for years. Um, one of the things that Americans have done very well is that they've got a full transparency on how candidates raise money internally, even before. Uh, they campaign nationally uh, across different political parties. So there is a clear regulation within the US. We don't have any regulation here. And I think one of the reasons why we are raising these questions, although we don't have a legal basis to raise this question, uh, is that the money is surprised us. I mean, we just woke up to 400 million that the, this is the amount. Nobody, I think, can say that they have thought about the uh, idea that the ANC internally could be using such amount of money before even elections involve the general public, while still they involve only members, cadre members of the party. That is the amount of money that was that was spent. And we wake up to this frustration. But the reality is that we have got no regulation on this thing. And you are asking a very perfect question as to why are we asking only about Mr. Ramaphosa? Well, from me, from where I stand, the reality is that uh, we could be asking about other political parties. But other political parties don't have precedent. It doesn't mean they have to escape a. Uh, 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 transparency or any requirement of transparency whatsoever the nation frames it. But the reality is that it is President Ramaphosa who is the president and that is why you have more concentration in asking about his relationship. But eventually we need to be going is to what are we doing about other political parties as well? What is it that could be lying out there? If, if, if there's so much money involved in the internal contest within the ANC and it actually shapes who become the president of the country, that politics can affect how that president behaves within the country or exercise their responsibility. If that is the case, eventually in the long run or even in the short to medium term, we might have to go into the books of political parties and regulate internal finances of political parties from the nation's point of view.
1: A little bit of deja vu of the Zuma era?
4: Indeed. I mean, the reality is that actually this is beginning to look worse than Zuma, if you ask me. I mean, I have also observed the Zuma era. Zuma did not have to go to court so early on this question. He almost finished his first uh, term of the presidency before he started going head-on with these integrity problems. But it appears that Mr. Ramaphosa is going into this thing very early. But sadly, he's, he's, he's beginning to dig heels in very early in his presidency. I would say he's too stubborn for someone who was just promising transparency not a long time ago. And this could just spell a, a very tumultuous uh, presidency that's uh, about to be rolled out.
1: Ralph, I saw you speaking on uh, one of our platforms here at the SABC on the television side. I think it was yesterday you were being interviewed about the very same issue. And you mentioned the fact that uh, um, in, in protecting seemingly the president, in protecting the third parties who um, are the key donators of this uh, funding, um, why should they not join this court petition or join this court action as a third party, um, um, what is the word you used, I think, uh, friends of the yeah. court?
4: Yeah, they can be Amikas Purae, that's the legal term we use in South Africa. For people who are friends of the court or people who might actually be uh, uh, have interest, actually, they should be second respondent if you ask me, because being friends of the court is more of a mild position. These are the people who actually donated what What worries is that uh, the president himself, he's saying that he doesn't have a problem with him having to account and so forth. He's a man of integrity. It appears to me that the reason he is uh, going to court is to protect those people, to make sure that information about their donation did, that, does not see uh, the light, or was, uh, it need to be stated that it was attained illegally. And if the president is so set on doing that, why would he go into so much trouble because of the third parties who are who are his donors here? Why can't they join and state Clearly, what is their interest in relation to this? Uh, so that is why I was thinking here that uh, for me, that is the second leg that we need to be asking questions about when it comes to the legalities of this matter. I mean, the lawyers are going to ask in court actually that, uh, Mr. President, why are you wasting so much time, uh, telling, asking the court to stop publishing information that has got to do with the parties that are not here to make their own case? Are those parties worried? Are your donors even worried? I mean, if I were a lawyer. Protector, I will ask this kind of a question to say, aren't you just, you know, just now using your position excessively more than you should to protect the said those the, those donors? For me, this manner, this issue from the beginning, from the revelation of the five hundred thousand, from the controversial security firm Usasa, until today, it has just been a series of disasters and errors. I can even point another last error here. Look at the communication. This is an internal matter. Also, of course, he's being investigated by the public protector. But you look at the communication that is coming out. The president has been communicating through uh, his presidential spokesperson, which is about his position in government, on a matter about uh, internal functioning of the ANC as well. Of course, he's been probed as the president because he's the president now. But the ANC as a political party, it's nowhere to be found It is not communicating well. The last statement I had was saying, they are just waiting for these court processes to be over with so that the president can can go back to work. For me, it shows the party that is incapable of even comprehending what is happening within itself.
1: Should we be reading between the lines? Is there more to this than meets the eye?
4: To be honest, as a political analyst, I find it very difficult to defer to the president on good faith to say that I can defer to the president because let's go back. if you go back, the was a donation that came about. It did not come about because the president voluntarily said, oh, I've got 500,000 from Bosasa." It was revealed by the opposition parties. The president went to parliament and uttered a statement that was not accurate. That was actually not, not true. I don't want to say it was a lie because that, okay, we have not established deliberate lie and so forth. But the president said he didn't know about it. The email came, and ensure that the president will have known. So when you're asking should we read more into this it becomes very difficult not to speculate that there could be more because the president is determined to stop publishing this information number two we have seen bad information coming from this campaign finance which is money from the controversial company that should that had literally been invo- alleged to have been involved in corruption so there could be more into this given what has come out i really have a, a problem in saying that i think it's all good. We should trust the president in his word as it came in the statement where the president is saying there is nothing untoward. I find it very difficult given a series of information that has been coming out so far.
1: Will this, in, in terms of everything that's happening, how much does this put in terms of pressure on the electoral reform and tightening of rules governing political parties and individual funding?
4: For me, this actually, I'm glad we, we experienced this thing, because we are beginning now to deal with the bill on party, fine, party finance, where the bill is propagating disclosure of a private funding of political parties. But that does not talk to what happens within political parties i mean uh the figure that we are talking about the figure that is being spent by mr ramaphosa if we do some projection and and and, and we try to project as to what could be the entire amount that was spent within the ANC internally it could be a billion rand because mr ramaphosa spent 400 million from what we know and the other candidate could have spent another, and other candidate who did not succeed as well might have spent a certain portion. So you might be talking about a billion rand in circulation within the ANC internally. For me, we have not thought about regulating that, and that is why we need to take a step back, and as we are thinking about electoral reforms in South Africa, we need to be thinking about how far do we need to go into the books of political parties. If some of the, the democracies that are dominated by money, such as the one in the USA, found it necessary to regulate parties internally on how money is raised, how it is received, how it is being spent, why can't we learn from them and follow suit? Because there is no doubt we are not going to remove the impact of money on our politics. The best we can do is to come up with a regulatory framework so that we can at least understand all information relating to money in our politics.
1: As you mentioned earlier, what seems like or looks like a mess from the onset, how does the president extricate himself from this and, um, you know, not sink his credibility uh, of his entire presidency as uh, short as it's been?
4: You know, the credibility is already unfortunately suffering. I mean, I've seen people who used to defend the president and are now asking questions. I've seen some of uh, people I mean, that I talked to in various platforms, in corporates and so forth. Some of them are beginning to say that maybe they were too hasty to call this the new dawn and so forth. So uh, already people are realizing that the president is going to have to negotiate his way within the agency because he does not stand on superior moral ground when it comes to uh, being Mr. Clean and so forth. He has got his own challenges. He's dealing with one here. Uh, whichever way he comes out of this, certainly the credibility will have suffered. And it, 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 at this point, it's about mitigating the negative impact of what has gone wrong. And the first thing would be to acknowledge some, something big has gone wrong. And let us apologize because political consequences are going to come our way anyway. That is the president. I think he should realize that one way or another, even if he wins in court, this is political. The EFF is already uh, uh, taking, political, uh, uh, taking the political route on this, saying to the president that, no, you're just in the pocket of people in the people, the dominant people in the private sector and so forth. So it means that he's going to deal with the political part of it. So the best way is to own to it, be, reveal it, and, and, and stop treating it as a matter that can be dealt with through legalities. Deal with it as a political matter because that is exactly what it is.
1: Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now.
4: Thanks for inviting me.
1: That's a political analyst Ralph Mateja joining us on the line. South Africa's Police Minister Begit Dele, together with International Relations and Corporations Minister Dr. Naledi Pando, have urged people living in the country to stop confusing a fight against crime with xenophobia. This after more than 600 foreign nationals were arrested during police raids in the Johannesburg CBD, some allegedly for selling counterfeit goods, addressing a media briefing in Pretoria. The ministers also reacted to calls for a protest against South Africans and South African businesses in Nigeria. The call was allegedly made by student organizations in that country. Lila Magnas reports.
8: Police Minister Begit Trele emphasized that the police are not only targeting foreign nationals but fights corruption during their raids.
9: I want to tell
0: you we are not looking at nationalities, we are looking at crime. Yeah. If it doesn't matter what your, your, your nationality We we, we arrest
7: the murderer, we arrest the thief. uh.
8: He says the nationality of a person only becomes clear when that person is being processed after being arrested. International Relations and Cooperation Minister, Dr Naledi Pandor, says South Africa have allowed integration of residents from other African countries.
0: But it is wrong when criminals are arrested when we look to end the entry of illegal goods into our country, that we then have a labeling that it is
8: xenophobia. It is not. Nigerian foreign nationals have accused the police for allegedly targeting foreigners during the raids in the Johannesburg CBD where counterfeit items were confiscated. Minister Pando has also raised concerns about a call to boycott South African businesses in that country. The call, which was allegedly made by the student organizational leaders alleging that Nigerians living in South Africa are always attacked and killed in South Africa by South Africans. Pandor says the Nigerian government has given her the assurance that South African citizens and their properties will be protected.
0: We have also had contact from the highest level of the Nigerian government and have been assured that authorities in Nigeria are taking these calls for a protest campaign seriously. They have also assured us that South African citizens and their property in Nigeria will be protected.
8: She says countries are strengthened by their diversity and South Africa will continue to seek to benefit from having relations with communities across the world. I am Lila Magnus in Pretoria. The newly
1: established ANC Interim Provincial Committee, IPC, in South Africa's northwest province has committed itself to ensure that it deals with factionalism within its ranks. The IPC held its inaugural meeting in Rustenburg on Sunday to elect the Provincial Working Committee and subcommittees. Itumilan Khajana reports.
7: Following months of a vacuum in the leadership of the governing party in the province, the newly appointed structure has committed to uniting the party. The ANC in the province is believed to be characterized by factionalism. It's also suggested that divisions depend in the period before and after the removal of Supra Mahumapelu. Following Mahumapelu's removal as premier, his provincial executive committee was subsequently dissolved. The IPC is led by Tromani Chauke as coordinator and the speaker of the Northwest Legislature, Susan Danke. It comprises of the likes of former education MECs Johannes Tilapedi, Zeke Stolo, including Mahuma Pelu himself. Chauke says unity of the party is sacrosanct. We're dealing with individuals generally, you know, because it's not the ANC that is functional, it's individual. So we'll have to make sure that we work with those individuals to realize the bigger picture of what they insist on for and what does it represent. So I think we'll be able to achieve that because the commitment that I see of the leaders here will be exemplar as we go down to the ground. Convener of the NEC Deployees in the province, Obert Babela says uniting the ANC, improving service delivery, creating jobs and stabilizing municipalities are the main priorities of the newly established interim provincial committee.
0: Without ANC being united, society gets divided and then indeed people get divided into our own factions. So that is the main goal that we want to achieve. Secondly is to quickly respond to the people's needs, the issues, grow the economy so that jobs can be created. I think during elections campaign people are saying where are the jobs. We need them to respond quicker and faster on that one. The third is the issue of service delivery, that we need to fast-track service delivery
7: Chauke says the committee supports the decision of the provincial government to intervene in some municipalities. They were placed under administration through the invocation of Section 1391B of the Constitution. Chauke explains. Our role as the NC is to give support to government. When government identifies that there are weaknesses in a particular municipality and they want to enter into a 139 or whatever action that they want to take, our role is to support whatever initiative that government is doing as long as it's meant to unlock and deliver services. The committee is tasked with taking the ANC to a provincial elective conference in nine months' time. i meet Melan Kajani in Rustenburg.
0: Bringing you Monday motivation, life by design, sets you on a path to discover your purpose.
2: In each and every one of us, there is a purpose engraved. It is up to an individual to realize that purpose Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you, our listener, to live your life by design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose of Monday motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and repeats at 2 a.m. the following day. Life by Design, be the architect of your life only on Channel Africa, The African Perspective.
1: Our headlines up next with An Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines Tanzania has held a mass funeral for 71 people who died when an overturned fuel tanker exploded on Saturday. A car bomb explosion in the eastern Libyan city of Benghazi has killed three UN staff members and two other mission members. And the city of Johannesburg's Mayor Herman Mashaba has reiterated his call for illegal foreigners in South Africa to be sent back home. Those are the stories making headlines.
0: Africa rise and shine Africa tzora Africa amka na unai
1: The UN agency UNICEF is calling on African governments to scale up proven solutions to improve birth registration if they are to meet the Sustainable Development Goal target on providing legal identity for all. UNICEF says the fact that tens of millions of children are currently invisible to their government is discouraging and harmful. The child agency adds that if current trends persist with a rapidly growing child population, 150 million will be unregistered children by 2030 for more on this issue we are now joined on the line by james alder unicef regional chief of communication east and southern africa james good morning and thank you so much for joining us on africa rise and shine
9: thanks so much lulu
1: now james why are african governments still largely battling with birth registrations
9: Well I think it's been a case of the sheer weight of numbers has has been difficult Um, and there's always been a sense of has there been enough commitment, have governments and uh, and people understood just how important this piece of paper is Um, and I think that is increasingly coming home now. We know that a child who isn't registered, who doesn't have what we would call this birth certificate, they risk being shut out from society. As you said there in your lead Lula, this is tens and tens of millions of children. (laughs) in this part of the world. Um, why does that matter? Well, okay, obviously each child matters. Each child has a dream. We go beyond millions to go drill down on that little boy and that little girl who want an opportunity and a chance, but no birth certificate means no membership card for society. Uh, and it's a card that should open the door to education um, and healthcare. So yes, governments need to know how many children they have. They can't plan education. They can't plan healthcare if they don't. You know, they can't budget for these things if they don't know how many children there are. So as you say, Lulu, they need to now really redouble their efforts to give children this most basic entry point as they start their journey in society.
1: Now, what are the consequences of children not having a legal identity?
9: Oh, they're huge. It's, it's hard to overstate. So uh, as we mentioned here, the, the obvious ones are they may not access health care and school. And if you imagine that, then, then those ramifications are hard to are hard to overstate. But at the same time, with no documents to prove how old a, a child is, they, they often lack the most basic protection against things like exploitation and abuse. You know, an, an unregistered child these days, Lulu, unfortunately, is a more attractive, I don't know, like a, a commodity to a child trafficker. They don't have minimal protection that that birth certificate provides against things like early marriage, against child labor. So... You know, in today's world, with these massive population shifts, you know, and organized child trafficking and these horrible illegal adoption networks, you know, birth registration today is more essential than ever. And as you said as well there, in terms of the numbers, let's not forget where we are in history. This is this most incredible moment that Africa is experiencing, a population shift that's unprecedented in its scale and swiftness. You know, as you said, on current trends in the next few decades, another one8 billion, billion babies will be born in Africa. Now if we get the basics right, and by basics I mean birth certificates, quality education, healthcare, then when these children become young, young adults and they can be productively employed, when that happens the potential for production and savings is so vast Lulu that we're talking about a potential sustained and prolonged economic boom that would dramatically reduce poverty. So it's really hard to overstate that the you know the first stage of a child's life. Let's get the basics right. Let's get them a birth certificate.
1: Now, UNICEF says there are proven solutions that could actually improve birth registration. Talk, talk us through some of the innovations that should be considered.
9: Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. There's good news. Um, we are seeing, happily, there is a good, you know, that the numbers of children that need to be registered are overwhelming and, and not acceptable. But yes, we're seeing big improvements um, on birth registrations. And we do the most basic things like link birth registration to a health service delivery. You know, that, is, that means that when parents, they register their children just after having given birth to them, you know, at the same time that they immunize them. It's a win, win, win. So rather than you give birth and then you go home and then you need to go back with your babies through some bureaucratic process leave, children at home, uh, let's get these children registered in health centres where they give birth. And we've seen that when that happens, in a lot of countries uh, in this part of the world, Uganda, Namibia, Ethiopia, Mali, Senegal, they've almost doubled their newborn registration rates when you link this health and birth registration. Um, and this is something, Lulu, that you know that the European Union has been very, very big on. Um, they've been a huge supporter of UNICEF, and they've been testing. Basically, they've been giving very generous support to us, and testing in a few countries. What what can we do when we link birth registration and health systems? What can we do when we digitise these things? And we're seeing really catalytic results. So there is very good news. We know that governments need, you know, the right political commitment and to redouble their efforts. But we also, more than many other sectors, we know what works.
1: Speaking of good news, uh, just to touch on one community um, in Kenya, the Shona community, who are to receive birth certificates for the first time, where they've seen children being enrolled in schools but uh, having to drop out sometime along the process and, uh, you know, staying away from schools and not being, as you mentioned, uh, not being able to get health care and, you know, but living in, 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 in... a community or a country where they're born and their families also not being legal. And finally, this is now happening.
9: No, it's yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I've almost worked now for, for UNICEF for, for 20 years, Lulu, and I've got to say it's the most privileged gig I, I could imagine. But still, there is still nothing that gives me tingles more than when you see the face of a child who goes to school for the first time or you see the face of a mum who gets that birth certificate, who understands what this could mean for her child. So the, the, the success, as you say, in places, that, that community here, the Shona community here in Kenya, the the, the growth that is occurring, the, the way that we know what needs to be done, and go back to, as you said at the start, the the, the growth in population. Um, if we get this right, then you know this thing called a demographic boom, we, we won't have seen anything like it. So there's an argument that is so right in principle, because we know it's right to give kids a fair chance. We know it's right to ensure they have a decent, a decent, a decent, decent, honest opportunity. But it's also right in practice, you know, investment in kids. The businessmen, the government, this is Africa's best hope, to set the ground for this massive potential demographic, fiscal, economic boom.
1: James, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you, Lulu. That's uh, James Elder, Regional Chief of Communication for the United Nations Children's Fund Office for Eastern and Southern Africa, joining us on the line. Security remains tight in Indian-administered Kashmir, although some restrictions have been eased to allow people to celebrate the Islamic holiday Eid al-Adha. Telephone and internet connections are still cut off after the Indian government revoked the autonomy of the disputed region a week ago. Media groups express concern that the communications blackout has increased this misreporting. And made it easier for any group to peddle so-called fake news about events in Kashmir. SABC's Runa Sen reports from New Delhi.
3: The draconian blackout also prevented residents from reaching their loved ones in Kashmir. Now broken into two by India's government, but its party spokesman Vinid Goenka said. All was well. Whether it is Eid on Monday or whether it is Raksha Bandar, both will be celebrated in the valley very nicely, very peacefully. The hindrance was these two, three families. And their henchmen families not allowed normalcy to return there. A common Kashmiri, whether is Hindu or a Muslim, he was deprived of a normal job, he was deprived of a normal education because people from all over the country were not able to go there. Now, they have been assured they will have the same kind of education which you get everywhere else in India. India's main opposition leader Rahul Gandhi spoke out for the first time since Delhi reduced Kashmir into a mere colony and scrapped its special constitutional status. Some reports have come that things in Jammu and Kashmir are going very wrong. There are reports of violence, there are reports
6: of people dying in Jammu and Kashmir. Now, it is very very important that the government of India and the Prime Minister makes it very clear and transparent exactly what is happening in the Union territory of Jammu and Kashmir. And the government needs to assuage the country and tell the country exactly what is happening and be completely transparent.
3: And Kashmiri author and activist Irfan Hafiz Lone warned the steps taken by Delhi would only promote militancy and perhaps derail peace in the subcontinent. The move taken by the government is definitely going to further strengthen the alienation. And the people who believe in solution within the framework of Indian constitution, such voices are made irrelevant. This decision has given new lease of life to those who believe in secession. that the cessation is the only solution. The United Nations called for maximum restraint as several countries expressed concern. Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan obliquely hinted Kashmir could trigger yet another war. Ravish Kumar is India's Foreign Ministry Spokesman. Since the steps were announced, we have reached out to
6: all the countries. We have explained our position, senior officials of the government of India. They reached out to the ambassadors and envoys and and explained our position. The same was done by our uh, envoys and ambassadors and high commissioners in uh, different capitals of the world.
3: Critics of the Indian government say Kashmir's demoted status will change its demography. Already a colleague of Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced it will open the floodgates of Indians to pick up fair-skinned Kashmiri brides at will. Wishing you Eid Mubarak, this is Rana Sen in New Delhi.
2: The fourth annual Top Women's Conference in partnership with Standard Bank and South Africa's Commission for Gender Equality is a renowned initiative that connects the public and private sectors by identifying, recognizing, celebrating and sharing best practices of different organizations and individuals who can clearly demonstrate success on projects aligned with gender empowerment. Channel Africa will be at Empress Palace on Wednesday the 14th and Thursday the 15th of August to cover this Women's Month event. Join African Dialogue and Humanity for the gender event. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: Our economics update up next with Tabitha Luhoko.
10: Good morning. Ugandan hotels have decried over taxation, saying it's driving them out of business. Uganda Hotel Owners Association says. Hotels pay about 12 different types of taxes and levies, including local service tax, hotel tax and conference license tax, among others. According to the association, multiple taxations remains a serious challenge to the industry, especially those in upcountry locations. It says as much as they've been lobbied and brought this concern to the attention of President Yoweri Seveni, nothing has been done. The announcement of plans to launch direct flights between Kenya and Jamaica has been received with mixed reaction by travel agents. The announcement was made following bilateral talks held between Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and Jamaica's President, uh, Prime Minister Andrew Holness, during Kenya's three-day state visit to Jamaica last week. Kenyatta says that the flights will deepen commercial ties as well as strengthen partnership between the two countries. The Kingdom of Eswatini is looking at cutting cabinet ministers' housing, travel, and entertainment allowances as part of attempts to revive the economy of the Southern African country. A royal commission tasked with investigating how politicians are remunerated submitted recommendations on Friday, including end of first-class travel for ministers, except for Prime Minister Ambrose Mudvulo's. Lamene and his deputy. The recommendations tabled before cabinet and awaiting royal approval also call for housing allowances to be cut to 12.5% of annual salaries from 25%. The Ghana Manganese Company has been given the green light to resume operations after a week shutdown by Lands and Natural Resources Minister. In a letter on Friday, Kwaku Asoma Chareme Said that the two meetings with the company and some stakeholders of the parties have agreed to expedite action towards resolution of issues raised. The minister says in light of good faith is shown by the company to work with the government towards amicable resolution, including the joint manning of the way bridge located at the mine and tonnages loaded onto ship to guarantee accurate computation of revenue has been asked, or rather, they've asked as the a company to resume its operations. The Zimbabwean government has signed an agreement with the Australian firm Victoria Consultant to promote the country's coal exports into the Asian region. The Zimbabwean mines and mining development minister Winston Chitando signed the agreement on behalf of Zimbabwe in the presence of President Emerson Mnangagwa. Victoria Vera Sousa represented Victoria Consulting. The US dollar is trading at 358.88 Nigerian Nara, 1089 Botswana Pula, 10194 Kenyan shilling, and at 13.1 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, so one US dollar will cost you 395 Brazilian real, 65.22 Russian Ruble, 70.85 Indian Rupee. 7 nine Chinese yuan and 1523 to the South African rand 83 pence British pound 89 cents euro gold 1000 dollars platinum 861 dollars pounds brand crude 58 dollars 43 cents a barrel from an African perspective my name is Tabiso Lahoku.
1: Our sports update up next with Figelelingwati.
0: First up in our sports update we begin with rugby news. The Springboks emphatically claimed the rugby championship's title with clinical 46-13 triumph over Argentina in Salta. On the weekend, with their eyes set firmly on the William Webb Ellis Trophy in Japan next month, the box beat Australia in Johannesburg before keeping their hopes alive with a 16 old draw with New Zealand to put themselves in pole position going into the third and the final round of the shortened competition. Despite the victory, box standing captain Dwayne Ferreira says they are happy with the performance, but there's still room for improvement.
6: I think for us,
5: the most important thing was for us to work on our consistency. We started the championship working on you know, trying to execute our plan and everything. And um, in a way, we're happy with our performance. But there's um, still a few things to work on. And uh, it's a great, great feeling for us uh, you know, to walk away with the championship. But uh, in the end, it's, it's a build-up or sickness on for us you know,
3: going, into, going into a World Cup.
0: The Bulls' eighth men, Fumyelen, dedicated their rugby championship triumph to South Africans at large.
5: It's a great thing for our country. You know, our country works on confidence, and uh, you know, if if the Springboks do well, everyone is happy in, in, in South Africa. So I think um, for us, it's a, it's a great feeling. But uh, no, also, like I said, it's it's for us, it's it's working on consistency, and um, and uh, we hope to achieve that.
0: The spring Boxer are expected to land any time from now at the OR Tambo International Airport with their trophy. And football news, South Africa made it a head-trick in Kosafa, the women's championship title, when they defeated Zambia with a sole goal in their senior women's final in Port Elizabeth, South Africa's Eastern Cape province, on Sunday. Tise Tzu Makubela scored the only goal of the game in the 22nd minute, capitalising on a spillage by the Zambian goalkeeper of Mamelo Makabane's set-piece. Unfortunately, Makubela did not finish the match as she was stretched off and taken to hospital. Banyana Banyana coach Desiree Ellis gave an update on the player before giving her assessment of the
2: match. She's definitely concussed. Um, She's been taken to hospital. So we're waiting on the doctor to report to us, report back to us. We created uh, a lot more opportunities and uh, we didn't take them. Um, I thought, uh, I'll have a look at the footage again, but I thought the one from Nicolo, I thought it was a really good goal. Um, but we created opportunities, and if we had taken those opportunities, um, you know, uh, uh, there is the, the game would have become a little bit easier. Um, it later became a battle, as I said, um, but I thought that we won that battle as well.
0: Meanwhile, this was Zambia's only loss in the two-weeks-long event. However, they got their first silver medal at the tournament. Coach Beauty Muamba says her team did their best, saying they put up a good fight against an experienced side.
5: It means uh, there's a lot of uh, groundwork that is being done.
7: Uh, women's football is developing, strongly developing in Zambia and uh, the level of competition is, 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 is getting there. So if you saw the way we played against South Africa, the girls were determined. And uh, we had also utilized uh, the chances that we had, we could have also scored, but it says that we missed the, the chances. But uh, a
8: silver medal means that so we are getting it for the first time. We've never uh, received uh, this medal before, so it means a lot.
0: And finally, with Tennis News, world number two, Rafael Nadal has withdrawn from this week's Cincinnati Open due to fatigue. The Spaniard Cincinnati champion in 2013 beat Russia's Daniel Medvedev to claim his fifth Rogers Cup in Montreal. Cincinnati organizers also said Canadian team Bianca Adrienscu, who was crowned women's champion at the Rogers Cup after Serena Williams retired in the final with a back injury, has also withdrawn because of a change to her schedule. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola. Africa, amika na unai.
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Concerns over raging legal battle between South Africa's president and the public protector, and South Africa's government expresses concern over Nigerian students' call to expel South Africans. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine the Suite today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at i On taking us to the top of the hour for the news is AZA with a song titled Moving On.
5: to run away and hide Something happened in the middle of the night I came inside without a sound Suddenly my life was turning upside down All that I could feel was pain And strangers came and took my soul away like a deadly hurricane, I know my life will never be the same Where do you go when you buy yourself? Who comes along? Hoping for a better life Praying that nobody's story Turns out like mine The only thing I know is fear Even those with good intentions Disappear All that I could feel was pain The strangers came into my soul deadly hurricane. I know my life will never be the same. Where do you go when you're by yourself? Who comes along when you cry for help? I know I can't change the past, but as the river keeps flowing,